You are listening to Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology, curated by Sarah Elizabeth Smith and Kelsey Davis. Be sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com theosophia and consider supporting this labor of love project for women's empowerment. Happy Pride Month, everybody! The next month we will be featuring stories from LGBTQ folks to honor this important time in our community. The next two episodes feature filmmaker Rocky Roggio. Rocky and I met at the Q Christian Conference earlier this year in Chicago. Rocky is currently working on a documentary called Lost in Translations, an exploration into LGBTQ stories, the Bible, history, and unveiling of a discovery that challenges the theology behind modern translations of the sacred text. The film then traces the creation of anti-gay theology, specifically in America, when the Christian right wed themselves with the Republican Party. Her documentary project will be the focus on next week's episode, but this week Rocky shares her story, growing up in the church as a pastor's kid, and the trauma and hardships that came with being gay in a non-affirming environment. In her own words, Rocky shares that as an LGBTQ female Christian, I've been navigating a religious environment that views me as other, less than and not equal, for far too long. These beliefs, held by many dear to my heart, have cast a dark, dangerous shadow over my life. After years of searching for my voice and calling as a storyteller, my path has led me here. It is my goal to change the Christian narrative and liberate the many LGBTQ people living in the dark, oppressed by bad theology. I want us all to live and be acknowledged as equals under God's love. There are truths that must be shared we are here to share those truths. Sharon Rocky Ruggio has more than 15 years in the film and television industry. Her background includes high-budget physical production on award-winning shows and films such as The House of Cards, Parks and Recs, Whip It, and Red Dawn. Rocky has been an active member of three IATSE unions nationwide and has a bachelor's degree in communications with a focus on radio, television, and film. She is currently a production manager at Whale Film TV and a freelance television and film producer in Los Angeles. It's my honor and privilege to share with you this raw, brave, and authentic story. Here's Rocky. Okay, Rocky, thank you so much for joining me on the pod this week. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So why don't we start with your background? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And maybe talk a little bit about your spiritual religious um, context growing up. Yeah, I grew up in South Jersey. Um, I am one of four daughters of a pastor father. My father started a church in um, Millville, New Jersey about 30 years ago. And um, it's been very successful. Um, so I grew up a PK, if anybody knows what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family and my father um, is very evangelical. We're an evangelical family. Um, fundamentalist, no religious denomination. Um, so pretty much the word is the word. Uh, close to a literalist, I guess, as you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much in our household, 
there's scripture and then there's secular opinion. Mm. Uh, and there's pretty much no in between. Mm-hmm. But, you know, growing up in that environment too afforded me an opportunity to um, develop strong moral, um, mm. you know, having a, a strong moral base and respect for others and, you know, um, an appreciation, gratitude, I guess, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also afforded me a base layer of faith. Mm-hmm. But for me growing up, I really couldn't identify with God in that setting for several reasons. Um, you know, it was hard to take things at face value, especially when it's so absolute and there's so, there's so many questions and the Bible is very confusing and very violent at times and mm-hmm. um, doesn't really put women in a very good light. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also noticed it doesn't put other groups in a very good light. And, you know, mm-hmm. it seems to me when you're talking about a religion that feels when you, when you hear what the gospel talks about as an all inclusive, mm-hmm. I kind of felt that there was more of an exclusiveness going on mm-hmm. with what I was being taught in the environment that I was in. And I don't really think that that's what Christianity is meant to be. Uh, and so I had a hard time resonating with my father's doctrine. And so um, I always had a strong faith, but I didn't really know where, what that faith was in, mm. um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But I appreciate my family. I appreciate my father. My father, you know, definitely as much as his doctrine is strong, he leads with example. I've never heard my father curse. I've never seen him. I think I've seen him take like a sip of a champagne 20 years ago at a wedding, you know, like um, he is very kind, very giving, very Mm -hmm. benevolent. Um, He doesn't overspend. He doesn't spend at all, really. I mean, every car has been a used car. You know, he always takes any money that comes in for his congregation and puts it back into the community or back into the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, there were, um, plenty of examples for me to feel and understand how strong my father's convictions were. And I really appreciate that about him. Mm -hmm. Um, he also now in, in Millville, uh, owns about 10 houses in town where he buys them pretty cheap because the town is, um, needs a little bit of some fixing up. So he fixes up the houses and he rents them out at cost pretty much to Mm -hmm. families in need. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I grew up. Um, you know, but then growing up, going to secular school Mm. also led to all of these questions as well, because, you know, you're in an environment where you're constantly hearing, um, how bad Christians are, or, Mm. you know, I would hear negative things all the time about Christianity in my school. And, um, and, and then especially, fundamentalism or a literalist mm. uh, and they would call my dad's church basically almost like the scariest kinds of kind of Christian mm. which is kind of confusing for me as well because right. again everything I just said of the example that my father would lead by mm. I wasn't seeing that right. but again the doctrine wasn't really resonating with me mm-hmm. so there was this conflict mm-hmm. then when I got a little bit older and I started looking you know we would read the Bible all the time growing up um, and I would see the word homosexual in the Bible, it never really made sense to me. Um, I 
couldn't really see how a group of people who have a same-sex attraction or don't really fit in with the patriarchal system, um, how that could be considered sin, especially when you look at all of the other characters that are associated with homosexuals Mm -hmm. in the Bible. Um, You know, and I would hear things like homosexuals are like alcoholics. Right. Um, They're like thieves. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, just all of these horrible characters that just didn't really seem to add up. So that was another thing too, for me that I couldn't really resonate with because, you know, I grew up in the 90s when I was in high school. And so, you know, that was during the purity era. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did a couple of different purity ring ceremonies and buried oh, wow. in the yard and, you know, just all of these weird things that they would have us do to save mm-hmm. ourselves for marriage. And, you know, um, this is the only kind of healthy love relationship and healthy sex relationship And, you know, anytime that we would even really talk about sex, it's just, you just don't have it. And so that to me also didn't seem right because now we're growing up and we're not having real conversations about things. And I think it's actually dangerous because people are going to explore, people are going to have sex, you know, or people are curious and to just say, just don't have it doesn't work. Or, you know, no condoms in school, which was my dad was a huge um, advocate for. He would, he, you know, was very active in the school systems and implementing religious restrictions in Mm -hmm. secular settings. Um, And that didn't make sense to me either. You know, I understand abstinence and I understand saving yourself or, you know, the damage that it can, you know, that sexual relationships can have emotionally on someone, Mm -hmm. but to just not talk about it didn't really make sense either. Uh, So there was a lot of confusion growing up. And then Mm -hmm. for me, I identified as being same-sex attracted at a really young age. Mm. Um, I was about five years old. We were living in Illinois at the time. My dad went to Moody Bible Institute. So we spent the first early years of my life in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember it had to have been circa 1983. I was about five years old. And... I saw it was like a 2020 special on lesbians and there were these two women, they were talking about living together and having a relationship together. And they're walking through a forest. I actually wish I could, I know I've got to figure out what this episode was, um, but they were holding hands and they were talking about it in this news broadcast. And I immediately resonated with that. I was like, mm-hmm. that's me. Those two women on the screen, that's totally me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, being five years old, you don't really know what that means. And I didn't really think about it again, um, except for, you know, I always was like, you know, because every girl would be girl, would be boy crazy. And I just wasn't, you know? And right. so I'm like, well, who am I going to marry? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, there was another preacher's kid in, in um, two of the different churches that I went to. And, you know, I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to have to marry this kid, you know, or this guy over here. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, and there was just no space for me. Yeah. I just didn't, you know. So anyway, that was kind of my experience growing up. Um, and yeah. How was coming out for you, especially with your father? Oh yeah, coming out, coming out. I didn't really have a coming out. Um, I was found out. Mm. When I was 18 years old, I was started experimenting with girls when I was about 16, 17 Mm-hmm. So it was later on in my life uh, and I was about to graduate high school and I met these 
this group of women and, um, you know, I was like, Oh wow, there are more people like me. Like then I started to really get it, you know, mm-hmm. and we would drive from New Jersey to Philadelphia on the weekends and go to the gay clubs and go dancing. And so for the first time in my life, I was in community to a degree where I'm surrounded with other people who I connect with mm-hmm. and um, felt that, okay, well, this is why I didn't really feel any attraction for any of the guys in my congregation or in my churches because I don't really want to be with a guy. So I started hanging out with this group of girls and my dad started to suspect and uh, he started to suspect that I was having relationships with one girl in particular. And so uh, one day he read my diary, Mm. confronted me on it. And so as you can imagine, that was a pretty traumatic time in my life. And Mm. For my parents as well, we were both devastated. My sisters, you know, the whole family, it, it broke us all up. Uh, and, you know, if I can't follow my parents' rules, I can't be in the house. And I'm, there's no way I'm going back. I mean, once you, you know, hold a girl's hand and you realize, you, there's just no going back. Um, mm-hmm. So I left and I spent 20 years uh, away from my family within that 20 years, trying to come back and, you know, build a bridge or, you know, mend a wound and try to find love. You know, they would love the sinner, hate the sin, which is just a horrible thing for an LGBTQ person to hear. Um, And we both got to a place, all three of us, my parents and I got to a place where we would we just wanted to love each other, you know? So I'm fortunate in the sense that my father tried to understand. He tried to read books. Of course, I still feel he's read one side. Mm-hmm. Um, and just accept me in his way, um, even though he was always trying to convert me and always trying to change me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was always welcome in his home. And that's really important. And that's one of the things that actually helped get me through because like a lot of LGBTQ people who get kicked out of their house or, you know, there's a mutual, we can't be around each other right now. Mm -hmm. um, There's a lot of confusion and isolation and loneliness and depression and um, you fall into bad habits because for me, you know, um, when you're, when you have to choose between your faith and your community and your sexuality, mm. um, uh, it just, it's difficult. And so I was a typical, you know, um, person who struggled with this and would drown myself with, in drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I had a pretty bad cocaine problem for a while, which, you know, was just, um, I would spend days on vendors mm-hmm. and uh you know nobody should have to do nobody should do that much cocaine and i'm just really lucky to be alive to be honest mm-hmm. with you um mm-hmm. and um but you know for me i always had some some a drive in me to that there's something bigger there's something better you know of course I, I, for me i wasn't going to just give up um mm-hmm. you know w- w- Drowning myself in substances would have been like, well, if something happens, you know, I was thought, oh, die young, you know, like, great. Then it, it's not on me. It's just, it was an accident. 
Mm. Um, and that's kind of how I, I thought, but deep down, I always was like, you don't want this, this isn't right. You know? And so I had the strength enough to stop and mm. I just stopped. Uh, and I put my energy into my career, which is the film industry. And, um, and I've been very successful. And so that's kind of what gets me through or what got me through during those periods is my work. Um, where that's the only thing I would think about, at least I have something that I love and I can be proud of and I can build a career out of and then just ignore everything else, mm. you know? So, yeah. Wow. Thanks so much for sharing that, Rocky. That, that adds so much texture and context to this project and how deeply personal it is and how like your story is so many of our stories as LGBT people. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story in, in different ways or different ways folks have dealt with the spiritual and emotional and sometimes physical trauma. Um, you know, we all cope and, and find ways to try to heal those deep, deep wounds, whether they're good or bad, you know? Um, right. So. Right. You know, my mindset in this always was, one side's right and one side is wrong. Right. And so... And that's so not I'm, helpful. <laughs> not helpful at all. So if I'm right, yeah. then I need to stick up for myself. You know, so in my back of my mind, I was like, you know, I'm either going to have to be non-affirming and say, I came out of this and, you know, like, which to me would be living a lie mm -hmm. and saying, you know, um, I'm going to please God and either be celibate or um, try to, you know, be in a, in a, a marriage with a man mm -hmm. um, because obviously I want to be in a relationship. Who doesn't want to, you know, be in a relationship? Or there are some people. Biologically hardwired <laughs> to be in a relationship. You know, and so I didn't want to be on the evangelical side because I just felt still, I just felt there's something off. When you look yeah. at first Corinthians and you look at first Timothy and mm -hmm. all of the other characters that are described in those passages, I'm just not those people, right. you know, um, you can't compare me to those things. So I'm like, this is not the side, but then, you know, if I stick up for the LGBTQ community now, all of a sudden I'm an activist, I'm political, I have an agenda. Um, you know, and these are words that my parents would use. They're like, well, it's very political these days. Right, right. That. And it's like political, like, no, this is my life. You know, like people's lives are on the line. Yeah, LGBTQ people are, are tired, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> we're just tired. But uh, so I just hid. I didn't want to get involved with any of it. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, and so I was I, the exact same when yeah. I was in college. I was like, nope. Yeah. So, mm. but then now I'm 42 and uh, I started going back to church a year and a half ago. And when I was in this space, I really realized the injustice that was going on. And I saw it for the first time as an equality issue, you know, um, we are less than we are othered and even in these spaces you know in los angeles there are these progressive liberal churches and they're not really liberal but they're progressive and they're hipster you know and they are they want to welcome you with radical love and they want to recognize you where you're at mm -hmm. but deep down and if you get their bylaws which i have because i'm not going to just sit in a space and wonder i'm going to ask and right. you know so they put on this facade that they're all inclusive 
But really deep down, if you ask the pastor, no, we believe that homosexuality is a sin. Mm -hmm. So now here we are in a church that I think then is to me a putting on a fake, you know, persona, uh, to, to me, it's deceitful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think about those kids that are growing up in these places who think that, you know, when they're growing up in an era where we can see that um, sexuality is on a spectrum, and we can see this because it's proven in science, you know, right. and so as we're learning more about human sexuality, now we have this generation that's growing up and understand LGBTQ people. And they're still in these spaces where their pastors and their fathers and their deacons and their leaders are saying, well, they're still sinners. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't imagine growing up. Oh, wait, I did grow up like that. Yes, of course. I was a preacher's kid and I grew up like that. But now, you know, here in this progressive church, you know, I I hope the pastor's kid isn't gay, you know, because, Mm -hmm. oh, I just, that would be horrible. But, um, but not really. Uh, it's only horrible if, if the parents still haven't gotten to a place of understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're still teaching and holding on to an antiquated and old theology that perpetuates and teaches discrimination, fear, and mm-hmm. shame. And mm-hmm. if they're not preaching it on their pulpit, they, are, they still deep down believe it. And so mm-hmm. those layers are there. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that it's damaging. Yeah. I know it's damaging. Oh, I'm yeah. A product of it. Absolutely. Me and you both. Yeah. So your your career's been in filmmaking and it's it's such a wonderful gift and skill set to be able to tell stories for a living and to highlight things that are important to you. Um so how what made you get into filmmaking and um, I guess we can start talking about the, the documentary a little bit that you've been working on and why you decided. Well, let's hold on. I'm asking you like eight questions. So let's just start with the first one. I can I get, handle it. Let's do it. I get it. Okay. such a bad habit of asking like 12 questions at That's once. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. Okay, good. Let's see. So let's see. It but started out in... Making, yeah. All right. I was... No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So uh, I always wanted to tell stories. You know, I'm I'm... A creative person. Uh, growing up in high school, I was involved with everything. I was, I had, you know, leads in the musical, and I would have solos in the choir, and I was captain of the soccer team, and I was captain of, you know, um, a basketball team, and then I also was president of student council. You know, I was just really active and really involved. Um, so I enjoy working with people. I enjoy working with creatives. Uh, and I wanted to do something where I could utilize my people skills, but also utilize my creativity. And I'm not like an artist per se, where, you know, I, you could just see art flowing out of me, but I wanted to be in the arts and, and have mm-hmm. a way to contribute. And so filmmaking was it for me because I saw an opportunity to, first of all, tell any kind of story that you want. You can play with different genres. Um, you know, you can just do so much in film and narrative and, you know, and now I'm doing a documentary and just, it, there's just endless possibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also saw an opportunity to reach the masses and this might be leading up to something, I don't know, but, um, you know, it just, it, it's a platform where there's a lot of opportunity. And so it just, it was just natural to me. So I went to school for radio, television, and film. I went to a school called Rowan University in Glassport, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. which is near my parents' house. I, I 
had a soccer scholarship at a school in Massachusetts for a year, but it was a private school. And this is when my parents and I were, you know, at conflict and I left home and I'm like, well, I'm going to go to school anyway. And I barely made it through that year with financial aid and, you know, trying to make it on my own. And it was a really, really hard year. And my parents were like, look, come home. And I'm like, I'm not going to live in your house. There's no way I'm going to go into the home. Um, but we're trying to heal and Right. My dad offered to pay for my education. So I went back to New Jersey, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. Again, now, you know, they're trying to understand as much as I'm trying to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a communications degree. And then when I graduated from Rowan, I moved to Philadelphia and I was doing an internship with a company called Banyan Productions, where we did a lot of reality based TV, like trading spaces, a wedding story, a baby story, that kind of stuff. And it was really fun. And I learned a lot. And I started doing associate producer work pretty much right away as an intern. And I then I got hired at that company, you know, moved to Philly. And then I met my best friend, who's actually the writer on the documentary that we're working on. Her name's Jenna Serbu um, in Philadelphia, where she was doing, she started her own company, her own film company. And then I just, it was just natural for us to join forces. Mm -hmm. And I became her producer and we've been working together ever since. So she knows my story very well. She knows me very well. We're kind of like sisters. She had some tragedy in her life that I was there for and vice versa. We've been in a car accident together where it was pretty scary. And my my mom and dad showed up to help us. Um, But you know, so she knows this story very well and the conflicts there. Um, she's also able to give us a fresh perspective from a non-Christian point of view. Mm. She was raised Jewish, but she really doesn't associate with any religion. Um, and she likes to try to understand people, but also um, sexuality. And she's she's really, you know, um, a researcher. She really enjoys reading and really getting into understanding um, of just human nature in general. So she's going to add some really interesting perspectives. So she's really delving into Kathy's book and, you know, like, I mean, it's, you should just see it. It's destroyed. She's got so many notes in there um, and really looking at all of the, this information that I'm gathering to help structure the film. Um, So she and I 20 years ago, I guess it was more like, 15 years ago, started a company called Sweetbread Studios in Philadelphia, where we did a lot of experimental film and live events um, in Philly to work on our craft. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then after that time, that was about five years we did that in Philly, I ended up leaving and Jenna and I kind of split for a while while I was honing my skills as a producer and needed to just kind of break out of doing our own thing and work for other people and kind of expand my network a little bit. So I moved to Michigan where I was working for a director and she saw a a talent in me and hired a producer to come in and teach me how to line produce. And so she taught me how to break down scripts and I would, I would take, the campaigns that we were doing, they were 90 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 15 seconds, mm-hmm. radio, TV. And I'd break down the scripts, whether we were doing union talent or non-union talent. It was a really, really great time for me to just learn so much in budget, budget making and, you know, in, in producing. Uh, and while I was in Michigan, the largest tax incentive, I've always wanted to be in film and breaking into film is so hard. Right. So again, I did the, the independent thing for five years and I worked for this director and commercial advertising. And after a year and a half of that, 
the largest film incentive in the world was passed in Michigan. And since I was already hiring people and working with all the unions as a line producer, I was the first production coordinator to be hired for the first film to come into Michigan. And Sarah, it's no accident what my first film was. You ready for this? It's a movie called Prayers for Bobby, which was a lifetime movie yeah. starring Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting chills uh-huh. just thinking about it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is my first film ever. Wow. And it's about this young kid called Bobby who had a similar story like me, grew mm-hmm. up in an evangelical home. And, but um, when he was found out he, that he was gay, it didn't go as well as it went with me as much okay. as there was tragedy in my story. There, his story is so tragic and he couldn't, he couldn't take it anymore and he threw himself off a bridge one night. Yeah. Um, but his mother ended up being a huge um, advocate then for PFLAG and right. you know, just really was like, whoa, wow. what, are, what are we doing to our kids? What, what did I do to my son? Right. You know, so that was the first film that I ever worked on and it was a really great experience and opportunity. But then, you know, it was, that wasn't an accident. I don't think that that was my first time. No, not at all. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Really incredible. Thank you, Rocky, for sharing your story. I have no doubt this will connect with a lot of people and your work will, will save lives. Join us next week to hear about the development of Rocky's groundbreaking project, the documentary Lost in Translations, the story of how the word homosexual was put in the Bible and used as a weapon against LGBT people. Until then, if you're in the OKC area, I helped put together the city's first ecumenical pride worship service. So this Wednesday at 7 p.m. at Mayflower Congregational Church, over 15 churches will come together to celebrate pride and LGBTQ people as gifts from God. As always, be sure to stay in touch with us on all of our social media platforms and visit our Patreon page and consider supporting the Theosophia podcast. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Peace.